Thank you, worship team, for leading us in the songs of praise, particularly focused on the grace that is abounding to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what precious truths those are for us. Um, we, uh, we who come before God's word uh, as uh, fallen, sinful people can't help initially when we hear the word of God, especially this morning, to walk away to hear God's word and to be convicted of sin. That's uh, I trust the Lord will do that in each of our hearts and it will show where we fall short. Uh, but uh, it is it is not enough just to be there where we are convicted of sin or feel bad about our sin or feel remorseful about our sin. But uh, it is another thing. What that's, that conviction of sin drives us is to look to Christ. And I appreciate the, the hope that that last song kind of brought to, to us as I thought about my own sin. Just thought about, uh, oh, wow, if, if Lord, if you were left to my, if I was left to my own devices, how... I would have nothing but to despair in life, but praise God for Jesus Christ and the grace that is ours, uh, and that I stand, we all stand before him, uh, because of Christ and, uh, the forgiveness that is found in Christ. What a wonderful truth and just a great truth for us, preparing us to hear the word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to James chapter three this morning, James three, one through twelve. Let's read the word of God and together, and then we'll pray together as well. James writes, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity, The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you as we come to your word this morning 
for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that these are a reflection of the teachings of Christ, the word of Christ to us. We thank you that you've given us your son. We thank you, Father, that you, you have given us his instructions so that by them we might live. Not only that we might come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through faith in, in him, but, Lord, that we, in, the, in our lives on a daily basis, might live lives that day, day by day are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And, Father, as we come to this passage that speaks about the tongue, Lord, there's not a single one of us who had have anything to say to justify the use of our tongue. Lord, all of us have sinned when it comes to the use of our tongue. Father, we've all cursed men. We've all stumbled. We've all fallen short. And perhaps, Lord, even this week, we've used our tongue for evil deeds. Lord, I pray that you would convict us through your word this morning. Cause us once again to be reminded of the dangerous nature of the tongue. Cause us to realize that we need to depend upon you to guard our tongue. Father, that our tongue, our mouth, the words that we speak would reflect Christ. Lord, we ask that your spirit would now teach us. Teach us to guard our tongues through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, it is Mother's Day, and I would like to just warmly wish all of you who are moms in our midst a happy Mother's Day. We thank God for you in our midst. The Lord uses you to to not only shepherd and raise up the children that we that God has entrusted to you, but many of you also are just examples of of love and care and concern for 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 the rest of the body. Uh, we all also this morning give thanks to God for our own moms. Right, many all of us here have moms, and that we can give thanks to God for from the very fact that they gave us life and brought us into this world. And but uh, we also thank God for moms because moms teach us things, don't they? Uh, when it comes to our particular subject this morning, I was thinking about uh, what are some of the things that my own mom taught me? What are the things that your mom might have taught you? And one of the things, many things that my mom taught me as a young child, especially growing up, is how to speak. How to speak. How to use, not only how to say words. I think my mom taught me uh, probably some of my first words. But she she taught me, and she probably your mom probably taught you, how to use those words that she teaches you. Uh, to, to, to speak kindly, to, uh, to say thank you and please and to greet others and love by name. All these things are, our moms teach us, uh, in how we use our tongue. But it's not just moms, our dads teach us as well. But as Christians, we know that God Himself teaches us how to speak in His Word. His Word is full of examples of how we, as the people of God, uh, can use our words for good. The Word of God is also, though, full of examples of how the people of God have used their words for evil. 
And I think as we come here this morning, we know that we have used our words, our tongues, our mouths for both good and for both evil. And therefore, uh, that we would, we ought to be people who carefully guard our tongues. The Word of God, is particularly in the book of Proverbs, has much to say about the tongue, doesn't it? That's a wonderful book to turn to. If you want to study and just to gain wisdom from, from uh, about our tongue. Uh, a couple of verses that uh, we read, that one of my favorites is Proverbs ten nineteen because I do this all the time. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You love speaking, you will eat its fruit. That's, that's kind of what it's saying. Proverbs 21.23, who, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. See, God not only teaches us how to speak in his word, but God especially teaches us, in light of some of these passages, to how to guard our tongues. That we need to put a gate, a, a, a door in a sense, uh, in, in front of our, our lips so that we would be careful in how uh, we speak, how we, say, how we say things when we open this mouth that God has given to us. It is said that almost every act of sin involves the tongue. Whether in the commission of sin or the covering up of sin. We use our tongues. And our passage today speaks about this main idea of the need to guard, or uh, actually the the passage speaks of taming the tongue like a wild animal. It needs to be tamed. It needs to be brought under control so that it does not run around loose. As we've studied uh, so far in the book of James, we've learned that James is about a faith that works. That if we have a saving, true, living faith in Jesus Christ, it will work. It will manifest in the life we live. So far, James has taught us on how faith works in the midst of trials in chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. How faith works in being doers of the word in 1, 19 through 27. How faith works in our love and mercy toward one another in the church in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And chapter 2 that we looked at last two times culminated in James' explanation Of his main theme. That faith without works. Is a dead faith. That does not save. He argues that genuine faith. Will be shown through the works. Of one's life. Now. While we think of works as being those things. That we do in our lives. Those actions that we do. Our works can just as well. Be the things that we speak. That we say from our lips. And that's important. As we think about having a faith that works. It's not just what we do, but it's what we say as well on a daily basis. If I had a you know, recording you know, device and had recorded all that you spoke this week, you know, everything, you, know, you didn't even know I was just recording you all week, and now we're going to play for the next hour what you spoke, uh, would, we, uh, would we be able to say, oh, you know, there will be nothing incriminating on that tape? I think we would all want to hang our heads in shame uh, to tell you the truth. It's, oh, did I say that? Yes. As we arrive at James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12, which we've read this morning, we learn that James teaches us that faith guards the tongue. It guards how we use this tongue. 
back in James 1.26, James had already written that, or there had written that true religion, true religion, you want the outward expression of our faith, that's religion. True religion is that which bridles one's tongues. That which like a, like a horse, you know, put a, a bit and a bridle around our tongue to control the tongue. And well, these verses this morning elaborate on us for why one ought to bridle your tongue. And as we study our pastor today, we're going to look at four motivations for the believer in Christ to guard one's tongue or to guard your tongue or the tongue. So uh, let's look at this passage together then and let's look at point number one. First of all, number one, the tongue is a cause for greater judgment. James teaches us that the tongue is the reason or it's the, it's the okay, it creates many situations that cause us to, to receive a greater judgment from God. Verse one and two, let us uh, James writes, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So verse 1 begins with a command to his readers to not be so eager to become teachers. No, not, not teachers in, the, in your job, but teachers of the word within the body of Christ. Now, first, this would seem kind of odd, you know, because... We know that the Great Commission tells us that we are to make disciples, and part of making disciples is to, to teach one another, to keep all that Christ commands. We know that Christ particularly gives gifted men uh, and women to be teachers within the body of Christ. Certainly, having more teachers in the body of Christ would be a good thing. We always, we're, even as leaders, we're thinking, oh, we'd like to see more teachers raised up. But James gives us a warning here. Let not many of you, my brethren, become teachers. James's concern here is for the repercussion of being or becoming a teacher. And although James is warning us about the dangers of becoming a teacher, it's not really his main point. But rather, it's a means of launching into his main idea that is the danger of the tongue and our need to guard it. So even though we, number, verse 1 kind of gives us a setting, but when we look at the rest of this verse passage, we see that its application is, is broad. It goes beyond just to those who are teachers. James is addressing brethren, the, the whole body of Christ. Even in the rest of James, James 4 and 5, when he speaks about the use of the tongue, he's addressing the whole congregation and not just those who are teachers. This passage is for all of us to watch, to be aware of the dangers of our tongue. So James explains then in verse, the latter half of verse 1 that the teachers of God, as teachers of God's where we will incur a stricter judgment, literally a greater judgment. Because of, and we this understandable, because the ministry of a teacher uh, involves speaking, uh, just as we read in Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, transgression is, is, is unavoidable. It exposes us as teachers to greater danger of judgment because it exposes, allows us to speak more words. The more you teach or speak, the more you're likely to say something that is false, that's untrue, that's inaccurate, that's not faithful to the handling of the word. The more you teach or speak, the more you're likely to lead others astray. The more you teach or speak, the more you're likely to become a hypocrite, teaching one thing but in your life doing another. See, James isn't just trying to dissuade Christians from teaching, but rather to do so with fear 
and humility. James, of course, is often reflecting Jesus' words in his teaching, in his writings. And it is no, uh, no less here. Matthew twelve thirty six. Jesus wrote these words or said these words. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. See, it's not just teachers, but it's all of us. All of us are, can be prone to speak careless words. All of us can say things that we wish we could draw back. The thing about teach, words, though, is once you speak it, you really can't take it back. The damage is already done. It goes forth. And you can apologize all you want and show remorse, but the damage is accomplished. It's spoken forth. The, you know, scientifically speaking, those, those sound waves have already gone out, and you can't go and you know, get them back. Verse 2 in this passage explains for why teachers incur this greater judgment. The fact is, because we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. Not just teachers, but we all do. We all sin in different ways with our tongue. In fact, James adds that if anyone doesn't stumble in your speech, then you are a perfect man, able to control your whole body as well. While guarding the tongue so that we don't stumble is expected of all believers, the reality is until we are in glory, perfection in this life is not possible, not just with our actions, but also with our words. We will at times sin with our tongue, discouraging people, insulting others, mocking them, coarse jesting, blaspheming, boasting in self, passing blame, or speaking error. And more. And all these sins deserve God's judgment. Remember James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. See, even one sin of the tongue makes us guilty before God. But James says we sin in many different ways with our tongue. You know, even if God were to not count all the the deeds that you've done, the sinful deeds that you've done, and he just evaluated us by just our words, the things that come out of our mouth, we would still all be guilty, wouldn't we? Even one sin, one hateful word, one curse, one blaspheming, one usage of God's name in vain are a sin that deserves condemnation and judgment to eternity in hell. And for this reason, because the tongue is a cause for greater judgment, we need to be people who are careful and guard our tongue. We move on. James teaches us, secondly, in verses 3 through 6, that the tongue is an instrument of great power. And this is another reason for why we ought to guard our tongue. James here has explained that our tongue causes us to stumble in many ways, leading to a greater judgment from the Lord. But is it possible, perhaps, that he has overstated his point? You know, we just think about, sometimes when we think about words, well, when we're younger, we think, oh, they're just words. We, we teach our children, or our children teach themselves, that, one, that, uh, that familiar rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names, oh, they will never hurt me. No. I think most of us, you live long enough, you realize that you can heal from those sticks and stones. But some of those words, you will never forget. Some of those names that you were called, you still remember to today. You still think you are that. Words have a great power to hurt 
to harm. And in verse 3 through 6, James uses three illustrations to show that although the tongue is a small thing in proportion to the whole body, it has great power and influence that demands great diligence on our part. We look at verse 3 then. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. James here gives us two illustrations, first of all. Verse 3 is the illustration of a bit and a horse. And then verse 4 is the illustration of a rudder and a ship. Now, we all know horses are large and, well, they tend to be large and strong animals. They're, uh, they could hurt you if they wished. But if we put a, a bit into a horse's mouth, along with the bridle then that's connected to the, to the bit, we are able, as the rider of that horse, to direct the horse wherever it goes, you know, to, we do that, it's familiar. We see that, uh, sometimes on the, uh, the ocean beach even, uh, that you can ride horses. The bit is a very small thing, isn't it? It's when just, it just fits in the horse's mouth. But yet it has such power to control that horse. The same idea is conveyed in verse 4. A rudder of a ship in proportion to the size of a ship is a very small thing. It's just a little flap almost at the end. And though yet it's a small little piece of uh, uh, material part of the ship, it serves to direct and guide the ship's course even as the ship is being driven by tossing and strong winds. That's James' illustration. How a small thing can have such effect on a larger thing. Verse 5 then, James brings his point to, to, uh, to clarity. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Common to both of our illustrations of this passage is that the bit and the rudder, though small, have great power to control the horse and ship respectively. And so in the same way, the tongue, though it's a small part of our mouth, it's just there, right here, uh, a little tiny thing, you know. Most times she's out of our sight. But yet it is capable of doing great things. It can boast of great things, both good and bad. There's a quote by one uh, commentator he writes this, the tongue, it can sway men to violence or it can move them to the noblest actions. It can instruct the ignorant, encourage the dejected, comfort the sorrowing, and soothe the dying. Or it can crush the human spirit, destroy reputations, spread distrust and hate, and bring nations to the brink of war. The tongue is small, but it can do great things, both good and evil. Another common observation to those, the two illustrations that was given in verse 3-4 is that the bit and the rudder are under the control of man. It is, the bit is in the hands of the rider, and the, and the rider, the, the rudder is in the control of the pilot of the ship, or the captain of the ship that they then can control the rest, of the, the rest of the horse or the rest of the ship. These small yet powerful items are controlled by men. And that's, but that's where the tongue differs. The tongue isn't controlled by man because of its power. And because of its power, when this tongue is allowed to, be, to do what it does, it ends up becoming a destructive force. And so James then gives us a third illustration that, better, that even better describes the tongue 
He describes in verse 5, latter half of 5 and 6, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. The illustration here is of a forest fire. And those of us here in Drott Laden, California, we understand forest fires. We, we know that there's a great danger for forest fires this, in this season of drought, isn't it? Uh, even it takes only just a small little flame to burn down a whole forest. And nowadays we have great resources to fight against forest fires. But in those days, there was no helicopters, no planes to drop water. When there's a forest, with a little flame that starts a forest fire, that thing is unstoppable. It will burn what it burns. And it starts with a small flame, a cigarette butt, a campfire ember, a match tossed carelessly. And the tongue is such a fire. Verse 6 describes the destructive and dangerous power of the out-of-control tongue. It is, verse 6 is, is full of these descriptions and pictures of what the tongue does and how dangerous it is. First of all, it's, it's a fire. And so like the, like the fire that starts a forest fire, that's what the tongue does. You, one, little, one little word, oh, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And that can lead to the destruction of a person's reputation. A false speak, false word from the pulpit of, word of God can lead many astray, even to fall away from Christ. It's a fire. James also writes that it's a world of iniquity. It's a world of evil. That is, that the tongue among the members of our body, if think about all the, compared to all the rest of the, our, the members of our body with our hands, our eyes, our, our feet, our, our knees, our elbows, our, you know, different parts of our body. The tongue is a world of iniquity. It's, it's the instrument for a world of evil to manifest. We do great, more danger with our tongue than with the other parts of our, our body. It lies, it slanders, it kindles hate, sows discourse, incites lust, which defile, and then corrupt man's total being, entire body. What's more, the tongue sets on fire. It's not only a fire, but it sets on fire the course of one's life. Literally, it's, it sets on fire the circle of life, if you will. The I picture, of course, of a circle of life is basically our whole lives. It's like our life is like a circle as it goes around it is all aspects, all areas, all times of our life, the, our tongue gets us into trouble and destroys the things that in our lives. It's the course of our life. The tongue is not only sets on fire our lives, but it's set on fire by hell. The reason why it's like you ever see those candles, you know, that uh, those trick candles, you light it and, you, and then, you know, you blow it out and then it comes back on. You know, it's because it's, you know, there's some chemical in there. It's set on fire by whatever chemicals in that, you know, that candle. But the tongue is more than that. You can't distinguish it. It's like it's set on fire by hell. And hell is a place where there's fire. It's Gehenna, the word Gehenna. It's a place where there was not only uh, garbage heaps where they would burn their garbage, but it's a place that was that's symbolic for the presence of Satan himself. It's an inst- it's a <laughs> inextinguishable flame. 
The tongue is ignited by Satan and his forces. Satan's forces, they particularly target and tempt us to sin with our tongue. We think about when Peter tried to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross. What did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Don't underestimate the tongue, brothers and sisters. Don't underestimate the power of your words. And like the bit and like the bit and rudder, it has great power. And like a fire, it can be uncontrollable power that can destroy your life and the lives of others around you. It must be guarded if we are to live holy lives, pleasing lives in Christ. But we learn a sobering third lesson in verses 7 through 8. That the tongue is an untamable creature. Verse 7 through 8, we read, James writes, For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. The imagery of verse 7 here is the imagery that's taken from the creation narrative in Genesis 1 through 3. After creating man and woman on the sixth day, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he said, And subdue it. That is, take control of it. Rule over the creatures of the earth. And that's Genesis 1.28. But here in verse 7, James says, declares that mankind has succeeded in taming all the creatures of the earth. Mankind has subdued the animals, whether they are beasts or birds or reptiles or creatures of the sea. He subdued them, controlled them. Now, taming, mind you, is not like, you, oh, you can have them as a pet. Taming is an idea that, is the idea that you can control it. The example is all the animals that are in the zoo. They are tamed in the sense that the zookeepers there have learned to control or guard or subdue those animals so that they don't basically go around killing you know, one another and the people around them. Beasts like tigers and bears have been tamed. Birds like eagles and falcons have been tamed. Reptiles like crocodiles and pythons have been tamed. Sea creatures like killer whales and electric eels have been tamed. Mankind has tamed all these kinds of creatures. But verse 8 tells us one thing that has not been tamed, and that's the tongue. Yet if we remember what James has written back in James 1.26, that if we claim to be religious... If we're people of faith, true religion, pure religion is going to manifest in being able to bridle one's tongue, control one's tongue. How this can this be? Otherwise, if we don't control our tongue, our religion, he says, is worthless. So the implication is that we can. Yet here it tells us no one can tame the tongue. How do we bridle our tongue when James says no one can? Well, the wording of James here may give a clue to our answer. In the original language, uh, James actually writes that no one of man or of mankind can tame the tongue. It's not just, he doesn't say that no one can tame the tongue, but he says no one of man or of mankind. Uh, the, some of the NAS actually doesn't put that really, doesn't translate that word in here. Some of our translations may have it. It seems a bit redundant. It doesn't, it's not required. But perhaps it's actually a clue, and it is a clue. Augustine of Hippo writes of this phrase in James 3, of 3, James 3, and he said that as James said this, that is, 
and no one of man can tame the tongue. In order that we may be, we might be induced to request the help of divine grace for the taming of the tongue. For he does not say, none can tame the tongue, but no man. In order that when it is tamed, we may acknowledge it to be affected by the mercy of God, the help of God, the grace of God. And I believe this is the point. James writes that no one of man can tame the tongue. Although no one of man can tame the tongue with the help, mercy, and grace of God in Jesus Christ, we can. That it's only in Christ, only as we depend upon Christ, come to know Jesus Christ, that he enables and helps us to tame this tongue that none of us can tame on our own. Even so, in this life, complete taming of the, of the tongue will not happen. We will not reach that perfection we all, because we all stumble in many ways. The reason why it's so difficult, why, we all, why this will never happen is because, James adds at the end of verse 8, that the tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. This is clearly the imagery of, of a poisonous snake. Restless, evil, and even implies a little bit, goes back to Genesis 3 to some extent. But the illustration of a snake, of a poisonous snake, is quite vivid. If you or I were to carry around a poisonous snake, you know, all the time, you know, just kind of like put it in your bag or your pocket, you know, just carry it around with you all the time, just, what do you think will happen? You might, oh, no way, I've taken zoology, you know, pythonology, or, well, or not python, uh, cobraology, and I, I know how to handle this cobra real safely. Eventually, you know, no matter how careful you are, that's, that snake, that poison snake is going to bite you or someone around you, right? I, that's a picture of our tongue. You can't, you know, don't cut it out. Okay, were, don't be, we're not talking like that. But the fact is, you, with the tongue, it's like a snake. And as long as you have it around you, eventually it's a restless, even full of poison that eventually we will use it to hurt others or to hurt ourselves. It is the very nature of this untamable creature that dwells with, that is part of our being. It's part, it's part of our body. That's how it is with the tongue. And for this reason, we must guard it. But the fourth and final lesson then that we learn here in, in verses 9 through 12 is that the tongue is a source of contradiction. It's a source of contradiction as well. And therefore, we ought to guard our tongue. Is a source of kind of verse nine to twelve. Let's read the, uh, all four verses. With it, the tongue that is, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So we see here uh, that James describes for us uh, for us how there's such a great contradiction that occurs in our lives because of our tongue. In particular, verse 9 to 10, James points out how that from the same mouth, we bless God one moment, and then the next moment, we curse man. It's like here we are worshiping God on a sunny morning, and on the way home, we curse that driver who cut us off, where he was like, man, driving so slow on 19th, or just, oh, man, if you sped up, you would have made the light, you, you know, fool, you know, something. <laughs> That's an example of how we bless God one moment, and then we curse man the next. 
To bless God is to praise him, to worship him. But to curse man is, is not just more than, is more than just swearing at someone, more than just calling the names. But to curse a man ultimately, in biblical sense, is to call on God to cut a person off from blessing. And to cut off a person from blessing is really a call to send that person to hell. It's a call for God to judge that person. Oh, Lord, give him what he deserves. Well, give her what she deserves. One might think, what's wrong with that? Don't we find in precatory prayers in the Old Testament? What's more, I think we look at our news today. Do we not find in this world there are many wicked men and women who do terrible, evil things? And wouldn't it be just great if God would just judge them right now and send them to hell that they deserve? It would make the world a better place for sure. So why not curse them? Well, the news is they're not just some wicked people in this world. All of us are wicked in this world. Every one of us are wicked and deserve to be cursed by God for the things that we've done, the things that we've said, the things we will do, the things that we have, we've done. When we curse another person, we are essentially cursing ourselves. Is it right to biblically curse another man? Well, what did Jesus say? Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Not only this, but James points out that when we curse men, we curse someone who is created in the image of God. And when we curse someone created in the image of God, we are cursing one of God's creation. And in effect, then, we, we curse God because we curse his creation. His handiwork. This blessing and this cursing come out of the same mouth, James says. When we bless God and we curse our fellow man, James says about this that these things ought not to be. We ought not to do this. And I think we understand this. We ought not to do it. We ought not to be people who bless God and then curse our brothers. Who say we love God and then we hate our fellow man. We either love God and love our neighbor or we hate God and we hate our neighbors. We don't love one and hate the other. James says these things ought not to be. To further demonstrate the contradictory nature of the tongue, James provides then three illustrations from nature that his readers would have easily recognized in verses 11 through 12, first of all, a spring doesn't send out both sweet water and bitter water. That is fresh water and salt water. You can only drink fresh or salt water, sweet water. Secondly, James writes, a fig tree doesn't produce olives. A fig tree, as far as we know, produces figs. It ought to produce. It's, it's not going to produce olives all of a sudden. 
Thirdly, he says, a vine, that is a vine that from which uh, grapes for wine were, would grow, doesn't produce figs. You don't find figs. They're supposed to grow on a fig tree, not on a grapevine. That grapevine's only going to produce grapes. So when the tongue blesses God and then curses man, it's like a spring that gives out both fresh and salt and fresh and bitter. It's like a fig tree that, that, that get, produces olives. It's like a vine all of a sudden producing figs. But those things don't our contract would be a contradiction. And it is therefore a contradiction when the tongue, like the spring, like the fig tree and the vine, uh, when it produces that which it ought not to, which, which it doesn't. But instead, our tongue ought to produce the only one thing, a consistent thing. When we hear our tongues, we should hear a consistent produce of our, of our lips. And that will often depend upon, or that does depend upon, what's inside, right? Because a fig tree is going to produce figs, and an olive tree is going to produce olives. A grapevine is going to produce grapes. What will a Christian produce from our lips? God-honoring words. Words that bless God and bless men. Leave the cursing to God. That's his domain. These are four reasons that we have looked upon that hopefully we come to understand the the danger, the power of this little tongue that is in our mouths. We see that the damage, and I think you don't have to think too hard to realize that we've all hurt people with our tongues. We've all hurt uh, the ones we love with our tongues. We've all hurt strangers with our tongues. We've sinned against God with our tongues. We've all stumbled in many different ways. We've blessed God and we've cursed man. Such is the tongue. A powerful instrument for good, yes. But a powerful instrument for evil. A fire that sets a forest aflame. A world of iniquity. An untamable creature. A poisonous snake. Yet we know that it's not just the tongue, is it? It's not just this tongue so that if we just simply cut off the tongue, I'm not suggesting that, that all of a sudden we would stop, you know, sinning. Well, you wouldn't be able to sin with the tongue, but you would still sin where? In our hearts. And Jesus teaches in his, in the Gospels, Matthew 15, 19, that it's from the heart that come our sinful thoughts and the sinful words. The tongue is really the barometer that reveals the condition of our heart. And Jesus teaches us this in his warning to the Pharisees. We end with, I want to end with Jesus' words. I find Jesus' words so fitting. It always kind of just perfectly illustrates everything that James speaks, which is natural because James being his brother and a follower of Christ would write these words. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Just listen for how close these words and speak to uh, even what James has written. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. 
The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus' words remind us of the danger of our tongue. That the tongue it really reflects what is in our hearts. Because the problem is ultimately our hearts, isn't it? It's our hearts that are the problem. It's the hearts which, through which the instrument of our tongue produce all the damage that it does in our world, in our lives. And that is why we need Christ. It's why we need Christ because Christ takes and transforms this sinful heart of ours. And he makes it into a sanctified heart. He makes it into a heart that is a good heart that produces good fruits. That he might then bring out from it all that is good. And we as the people of God need Christ's help. We need to bend upon Christ as Augustine reminded us in his words. That is so that we might need the grace and mercy and the help of God. So that we may tame our tongue. So that we would speak words. So we would not speak careless words. But that we would speak words that build up and not tear down. That are timely words and not inappropriate words. Words that heal and not words that hurt. And as we do so in dependence upon Christ. Then the world who watches. The world who observes. Will see our faith. Will see through the works of our tongue, the faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. And we will be a witness and that others might follow him too. Has anyone ever said to you, there's something different about you. It's the way you speak. You don't talk like the rest of us. You don't joke around like the us. You don't say, you don't use God's name in vain. You don't curse like the rest of us. You don't gossip along with us. And I hope they can say that about us, about you, because you have Christ. Faith guards the tongue. And that's the kind of faith that is living. It's the faith that is saving. It's the faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we've been reminded this morning of the danger of the tongue. It's damaging effect upon all of us if we allow it to go uncontrolled. Lord, once again, we are reminded just how sinful our tongues can be, how we can use it not only for good, but also for evil. Lord, we pray that as we are impressed by these thoughts, may you help us, help us by your grace and your mercy to guard Put a guard on our tongues that we would not allow us to speak, allow us to speak careless words, but to be thoughtful before we speak, to be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Lord, that we bridle our tongues. That we would not speak like the world, but we would learn to speak like Christ, manifesting our faith in Jesus through the words that we speak. 
Father, we praise, we thank you that in Christ you do forgive us for all the sins that we do commit, especially with our tongue. And Lord, we pray that you continue to sanctify us just as you're transforming our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would transform our lips, that we would be a people who not only bless you, but bless our fellow men. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.